now and today. You can know the grace of God if you will let Christ into your heart right now. We can tell you more, either in TLDR version or more in depth. Just visit us at findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We are not ashamed of the gospel. WIAM, The Way, 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Prominent rabbis are seeking permission for something that could start World War III. Will 2021 be the year to break all natural disaster records? And if you think of an unholy alliance, would you think it involves Christian colleges? We'll talk about these things and much more as we look at the signs of the times. Our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, March 12th. 2021. Along with Mark Kirk, the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville, I'm Greg Hilt, and we appreciate you carving out an hour of your Friday afternoon to listen live, or maybe you're watching us live right now, and if you'd like to know how to do those things, just visit the Way Media app or thewaymedia.net. You can go to the Way Media Facebook page and watch it live, or Calvary Knoxville's YouTube channel. Pastor Mark, Good afternoon. It's great to be here, Greg. Excited about today. It's yeah. Be a good day. I am excited about it as well. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, episode 160 will be on your way this afternoon through Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. As always, you can find out how to subscribe to the podcast as well by going to thewaymedia.net. You've got mail. This is our Truth in 10 segment uh, where Pastor Mark answers listener questions in 10 minutes or less. And Pastor Mark, our first question comes from Ophelia. And Ophelia has a question about the Sabbath. She says, I was just curious as to why modern Christians no longer celebrate the Sabbath the way it used to be celebrated. They are, are, there are all these verses claiming that if we love the Lord, we remember his commandments. And one of those commandments is to keep the Sabbath holy. How does one reconcile the two? Yeah, great question. Great question. And it's a question that comes up a lot. I'm glad to have a chance to, uh, to answer this for you, Ophelia, and uh, for a lot of other people that have the same question that are out there. And um, so, again, we have to start at the beginning of looking at the Sabbath. We'll work our way to the New Testament. But the issue with the Sabbath um, is one of under the law, uh, whether we come under the law, if you will. It's really tied to that. Um, or whether we're uh, to now under freedom in Christ, and does it does it transfer over from you know the law? Does it now that we're free in Christ? Does it do away with the Sabbath, etc.? And I would say the Sabbath has been done away with. I would sum it up before we look at these scriptures as the Sabbath has been fulfilled. Again, in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord said, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so the law is something that the believer is no longer under, not because the law is not good and not because the law did not have a purpose, but because Jesus used the law to bring us to him, to keep us in line until he came and died on the cross, but also, um, again, until he fulfilled it. And now we walk under Christ, under his blood, in freedom in Christ. And really, again, also kind of to sum up the Sabbath before we start looking at some of these verses, is the Sabbath was a type of the cross, or the cross a type of the Sabbath, in the sense that it is our ultimate rest, and that is we rest from our works. Remember the whole picture behind the Sabbath. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? It was to rest from our works and to remember the seventh day to keep it holy, even as the Lord uh, kept the himself rested on the seventh day after create, creating the earth in six days. 
So there's a whole picture here of the type and the rest that God took and how we're to come under that rest as well. And so um, that kind of is the initial foundational explanation. But if you read carefully in the Old Testament, you begin to investigate what it says about the Sabbath. You're going to see that God emphasizes over and over that the Sabbath is specifically between him and the children of Israel. And he makes a point of that. For example, I'll read you one of them. In Exodus 31 verses 15 through 17, it says this. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Note that. To observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Now look at this last verse. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. So note this. It is specifically mentioned as being between God and the children of Israel. Number one. Number two, it is called a sign by the Lord. So we see that he's made that agreement with the children of Israel, and it's a sign. What was it a sign of? The future rest they would have in the Messiah. Um, now again, that doesn't mean that there's not a benefit to resting our bodies one day a week. I think there's a health benefit to the Sabbath that is extremely um, applicable here. But this sign of the Sabbath, as you will, was a picture of the fact of the promised Messiah, the one who would truly give the children of Israel and all of us rest. And so uh, we're going to see with the other verses here that plays out. So again, not just a day of rest and reflection, which we do need, but that eternal spiritual rest in the Lord. In Hebrews uh, 4 verses 1 through 8, I'm going to read this to you because this is just hearing the scripture really needs to be heard in context uh, to lay all this out. It explains that Jesus is our rest or our Sabbath. And then once we know him, we have have entered into that eternal Sabbath or that eternal rest, which is the fulfillment of that sign that God gave between he and the nation of Israel. And I quote, he says, therefore, since a promise remains, this is out of Hebrews 4, of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. He's talking about those who came out of the, out of Egypt not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest." Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. And here's the key part of this. There remains, therefore, a rest, or we would say a Sabbath, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, that is, the Lord's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So observing the Sabbath was simply pointing to the spiritual Sabbath that Jesus came to fulfill. That is why the Sabbath day is not only uh, uh, you know, something that is, is to be observed as a Sabbath rest, but something also that can only be fulfilled by the rest we get through Jesus Christ because we can't do enough works to earn heaven. God had to do the works for us. So, and again, some other interesting points about the Sabbath when you look at the New Testament. Now, that's kind of the layout of the Old Testament. And by the way, uh, he says that it's a sign forever with the nation of Israel. It's not wrong, I think, for a Jew to observe the Sabbath. But again, I think that even for the Jew, it was just a sign forever, not something that when they came to Christ, they would have to legally perform. Um, and you'll notice in the New Testament, as you study it, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated to be followed. Uh, Paul said in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, specifically addressing the Sabbath, he said, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Note this, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. In other words, the substance of the Sabbath, the meat of it, the meaning of it is Jesus and the fact that he fulfilled all works for us 
in completing them on the cross. So don't let anybody judge you as to whether you observe the Sabbath or don't observe the Sabbath. Um, again, not being mentioned specifically in the New Testament, making a point to the believers, this is not one that's to be emphasized as far as something that God requires of us. Now, in addition to that, uh, when the early church was establishing what the Gentile believers were required to do in order to be converted and follow the Messiah, the Jews gathered to discuss if they had to follow the law or not, and the Sabbath was not mentioned. So I want to read this to you in Acts 15, verses 24 through 29. It says this, and again, this is that council there in Jerusalem when they are all gathering, hey, do the Gentiles need to follow the law or not? It says this in verse 24, Since we've heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, You must be circumcised, and keep the law, the law being the Ten Commandments, as well as the rest of it, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. So he makes it very clear. Here's the guidelines. We're not given the law. Even the Ten Commandments not given to the believer. And why? Because when you come to Christ, again, God lives in you as your commandment. You know what's right and wrong. He convicts you of these things. You don't have to have rules and regulations. You're convicted about right and wrong. But he makes the point, the Sabbath is not mentioned here. So we see that it's left out conspicuously in the New Testament. It's left out conspicuously with the new believers when they're determining what the new Gentiles needed to follow when they came in. And so, again, what does the Sabbath play as a role? Again, I just repeat, it was a large part of God's plan for the Jew and the Gentile alike at the very beginning, pointing as a sign to Christ. But it is my conclusion, based on the scriptures that we just covered, that the Sabbath is something that is not required for the believer today. And let me say one last thing about the Sabbath, because this comes up from time to time. Well, then, when it relates to the Sabbath, and that is, you'll notice that when the early church was established, they changed their day of worship, or their Sabbath day, they said, to the first day of the week. Paul, writing to the early church, said, when you gather Mm. on the first day of the week... Be sure that you take up a collection for the believers in Jerusalem. So he says it kind of in passing, but from that verse, we find out that what Paul is saying is the church was not gathering on the Sabbath or Saturday for their services. The church was now gathering on the new Sabbath or the new sign, if you will, to the church, and that is on Sunday. It became the Sabbath, not legally, but in a picture or type. Um, Again, why? Because that was the day that the Lord resurrected from the dead, and so it became a sign now to the church as a new day of devotion to the Lord. So um, hopefully that's helpful when it comes to understanding the Sabbath, and um, I know that God will um, use this not just for you, Ophelia, but for all that are listening that may have the same question. Yeah, great insight, Pastor Mark. Uh, Our next question uh, comes from Lauren. And she wants to talk about prophecy. She said that her Bible study has been going through First Thessalonians, and I was assigned to chapter 5. I talked about how we are to take comfort as believers and learn what God says about prophecy so that we can have comfort. Throughout the night, a couple of people were quite adverse to the discussion and said that we shouldn't focus on the end times as believers and not worry about when Jesus is coming. I felt discouraged as I felt excited to share what I learned in this chapter. My question is, how do we discuss prophecy with our small groups and fellow believers without feeling mocked all the time? Yeah, how sad, first of all, that your small group would mock you for standing on the word. Let me just say, again, look, I give you kind of an assignment. Go and look up how many times in the Gospels that Jesus said, watch, watch, for you don't know when the Son of Man is coming. Be watching, be watching. Now, if we're not to be watching for the coming of Jesus Christ, why did he tell us over and over and over, be watching, you don't know when he's coming? And that relates directly to prophecy, because prophecy tells us he's coming back. We need to be ready. Jesus said you should know the signs of the times, which is why we named this show Signs of the Times. As a matter of fact, the Lord rebuked those of his day. Uh, He said, you can discern the sky whether or not it's going to rain. He said, but you don't know the signs of the times. And his point was, the first coming of the Messiah 
is is upon you. I am standing in front of you right now, and you don't even get it. Why? Because you're not looking prophetically at what's going on. You're not understanding the signs of the times. And he rebuked that generation for that. Listen, I would say to those in your small group, and I don't mean to be um, uh, you know overly harsh here, but I would say to those in your small group that are telling you that they are some of those that Jesus Christ would rebuke today and say, basically, shame on you yeah. for not only believing and watching yourself, but shame on you for for giving someone else a hard time because they're watching because I rebuked those in the first coming for not watching and I've told my followers over and over to watch to be ready and so the fact that someone would tell you you shouldn't be doing that just shows they don't understand the Lord they don't understand his word they don't understand the purpose of prophecy as a matter of fact in Revelation 19:10 uh, the angel said to John for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy In other words, if you want to talk about the testimony of the Lord, you've got to talk about prophecy. That's what it's about. So anyone that's doing that is not understanding what the Bible says and what Jesus said about prophecy, rebuking his generation. And that same rebuke would go for our generation who would turn away from that um, and not pay attention to it. I would add uh, this as well, and that is scholars say that anywhere from one-fourth even to as much as one-third of the Bible is prophecy. So if one-fourth to one-third of the Bible is prophecy, and someone says, we don't need to be paying attention to prophecy, here's what they're saying. Let me put that in in a different translation for you. There is a fourth to a third of the Bible that you need to ignore. There is a fourth and a third of the Bible that you need to pay no attention to. There is a fourth and a third of the Bible that doesn't apply to believers today, and if you bring it up in our group, we're going to make fun of you. That shows how wrong they are. So I want to encourage you, stand firm. Don't be shaken by those who are doubting the Word of God and doubting Him. Um, you need all of the Bible. You need all of prophecy. And, and let me sum this up by saying this. You know, Jesus said He was the Word. Well, through the Word He said that. In John chapter 1 it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if the word is God, that means that one-fourth to one-third of prophecy is Jesus, because he said it was him. Now, knowing that, if this is Jesus written on paper, and I'm not getting weird, I know that Jesus is not paper and ink, I get that, but if it represents him through the writing of his word, let me ask you this, how much of Jesus do you want to leave out of your life? How much of Jesus do you not want to have. I want Jesus from head to toe. Jesus, the Bible tells us, he's he's Genesis, he's Exodus, he's Leviticus, he's the Psalms, he's the Gospels, he's all the way through to Revelation, that's who he is. Take a third of that out. Take even only a fourth of that out. Whatever the, the, the proper scholarly approach on that is, you're missing a fourth of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the Word. So that means you've got a Jesus that has no arms, a Jesus that has no legs, a Jesus that is missing, just fill in the blank. Look, He is fully encompassed in the Word of God. We need all of Him. He said, you better be believing in me. You need to be looking. Matter of fact, He said, when you see these signs that I'm telling you about in the last days, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Those were prophetic signs. If we're not looking at prophecy, we're not going to see those signs. We won't be looking up, and we won't be ready for His return. And although He'll still come and get us, how ashamed will we be saying, Lord, you know what? I I wasn't looking because my small group said that I was I was wrong for doing that. Now I'm not saying you're doing that with your small group because you're obviously asking the question, wanting to make a stand. Um, but the bottom line is, forget what your small group says. You stand firm and continue to share the word of God. Look. If they don't want to hear it and they say, we don't want to hear it in our small group, then stop sharing with them. The Bible says not to throw pearls to swine. And I'm not name calling. I'm just saying that we're not supposed to. The principle is don't waste the precious pearls of God's word for those who aren't going to believe it. But don't be intimidated from sharing it to those you should be sharing it with. If your small group won't hear it, share it with everyone else. Get a radio station, get a show and call it Signs of the Times and share prophecy in the word of God because it changes lives and it's that important. Oh, um, here, Lauren, we'll give you another idea that will really endear you to your small group. Uh, have a movie night. And here's the movie that we recommend that you play for your small group. It's called Before the Wrath. And you can go to the website yeah. beforetherath.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pastor Mark, maybe you can give a synopsis 
of this movie. You you showed it to the to the body here yeah. at Calvary Knoxville on a Sunday night when it was uh, an opportune time to do so. Yeah. Uh, we had the sanctuary almost packed out, yeah. which was fantastic. But uh, talk a little bit about this movie and how this really ties into Lauren's question and can help Lauren share the truth of God's word through a great resource. Yeah, and and also understand what's happening. I feel sorry for people that are neglecting prophecy because they don't see what glorious days we live in and how exciting it is. This movie gives a whole picture of the Jewish wedding, the Galilean Jewish wedding, which is an absolute beautiful picture of what the Bible says the rapture will be like. It it starts out with the presentation with the city gate uh, with the father and the son and the bride-to-be, and they're all gathered there as a witness. The whole picture of the father, the son, the bride, we're the bride, Jesus being the son, um, the Lord, or well, the son then would offer a, a glass of wine uh, to the bride to see if she would drink. And if she drank, she would be accepted. She was saying, yes, I'll marry you. If she rejected, she'd say, no, I wouldn't. We see that whole thing with the Last Supper where the Lord gave them the cup and said, all of this drink. He was basically proposing in a spiritual way to them. And they received the cup. And therefore, we receive the cup today when we believe in Christ and we become that bride-to-be. We're betrothed. We're engaged, we would say today. And then the, the uh, son would go away and prepare a place at his father's house and the bride would go away and get ready for his return. Again, we see the beautiful analogy and the picture there of uh, Jesus getting us a place. He said, I'll go prepare a place for you and I'll come back and get you to myself. Then the bride makes herself ready. That's a beautiful picture of us cleaning our, you know, God cleans our life up. But I mean, taking the proper measures to turn from sin and to, to live for the Lord. And then at the proper time, he would show up by surprise when the time was ready and call for his bride. Well, the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. It's going to be a surprise. He's going to gather his bride. And then when he would take his bride, he would literally, she would sit in what was called the bridal chair that men would carry on their shoulders. And it was called carrying the bride or, you know, or, or flying the bride to the father's house is what they called it. And so the bride would be flown to the father's house where the wedding would be performed. Again, beautiful picture of the rapture as we're flown into the sky, quite literally, with the Lord to have the ceremony, of the wedding ceremony, so to speak. And then they would have a seven-day wedding supper uh, for the couple. When we go to heaven, Revelation says we'll have a seven-year wedding feast with the Lord. Um, and then at the end of that seven-day wedding feast, they would come out and there'd be a presentation of the son and the bride together showing they've now been married. Here they are. And the Bible says at the end of that seven-year marriage feast, we're going to come back and the Lord's going to present himself and his bride, the church, in our new kingdom here on the earth to rule and reign for a thousand years. So, again, the picture is undeniable. It's beautiful. And this resource, uh, Before the Wrath, it's a great video. If you can, if you can, well, I, I don't think you can see it online, but you can definitely order it online. It's worth watching. They use the, um, the discoveries and the ancient uh, way this ceremony was done and is truly uh, amazing when it comes to what it's going to be like with the Lord. But again, that's prophetic. Yeah. And if we don't have prophecy understanding and apply that prophecy, you know, I feel sorry for people, Greg, that don't have that and they don't have that joy and that excitement of what they watch hap- or they're watching happening because we're watching all the signs that were given to us prophetically, we're watching them take place in the world. Yeah. And which brings up another point. If God didn't want us to be paying attention to prophecy, why did he give us prophecy? Why did he give us the signs? And I, I, I'll say this. I believe one of the reasons that prophecy is so attacked, even in the church, it is demonic. I'm not saying your friends are demonic. I'm not saying your friends don't even know the Lord. I'm not attacking them at all. So don't misunderstand my statement here. What I'm saying is, we know by the example when Satan spoke through Peter, and said, Lord, don't go to the cross. He said, get behind me, Satan. That true believers, even the closest followers of Christ, the enemy can speak through if we allow him. And if he wants to, if God allows him. And he spoke through Peter. And so the whole point is, is that someone, even true believers can say that we don't need to be looking at prophecy. But I believe it's demonic in nature. Matter of fact, I know it's demonic in nature. Why? Because if you can take away a fourth to a third of the Bible... First of all, you're doing a great thing. Get rid of a fourth through a third of the Bible by re- removing prophecy. In addition to that, if you can take away prophecy, which talks about the second coming and the hope of the believer, you can take away the hope out of the believer's life, the joy, the, 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 what they're looking forward to, and really make their life more miserable. You know, they're still saved, mm-hmm. but you can make them more neutralized, if you will. So I believe it's demonic when you see people attacking prophecy and saying we have no need to understand prophecy. You know, we're going through the book of Revelation right now, as you know, Greg, as a body. And I heard just recently, again, somebody from another church said, our church said there's no need to go through that. You can't understand it. The name Revelation, it literally means to <laughs> unveil. 
In other words, we would say today to make known so you can understand it. It is easy to understand if you understand that all of the symbolism in it is found in the Old Testament. You simply take the symbols that are in it, find them in the Old Testament, find what they mean, plug them in the New Testament, and you can have a literal understanding of Revelation. Now, I know we don't, don't, we don't know every detail. But, I mean, we have enough information to say we can understand this book, and it's an exciting book and, and gets us excited about the last days and the Lord's return, and so we should get excited. Yeah. Well, Lauren and Ophelia, thank you so much for your questions. Lauren, uh, don't forget, and for those that are listening and watching as well, if uh, you're intrigued by this movie, we do encourage you to get this. You can just yeah. go to their website. It's beforetherath.com, and I think you can probably order it either direct from them or there will be links on their website on how to order the DVD. Uh, and and I don't know if they've got a streaming version or not. Hopefully you still have a DVD player. Yeah. Uh, either way. It's fantastic. Yeah. And if you've got a question like Lauren or Ophelia, please reach out to us at thewaymedia.net and just click on Signs of the Times. Pastor Mark, for the time that we've got left, I, 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 wanted to, I want to come back to this wedding supper. Right. I want to come back to the parable of the ten virgins. Right. And, and, and talk about a, a point that you made that's very important. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Right. Yet he said something that was totally ungodly, was totally out of order. Yeah. How does that relate to that parable where you've got a group of people that are invited to the wedding, but half make it and half don't? And how does that tie into the symbolism of the oil, what it represents, maybe our walk? Do we get off the path? Are we in darkness? We don't see the signs. Explain that. Yeah, yeah. The that's a good question. The overall theme I think we need to understand first, Greg, is that it's let's be ready. You know, be ready. He talks about the parable of the virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish, five had oil in their lamps because the 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 bridegroom would come at any time, typically middle of the night. So you had to be ready. So five were ready and had oil. Five weren't. When they left their lamps, they couldn't see to follow, and they'd have to go find oil. They couldn't be a part of the wedding party. So the bottom line here's the main overall. Which with parables, you want to have one overall arching theme, and that is be ready. Make sure that you are prepared. Make sure that you are ready. Don't be caught unprepared. But again, it is interesting and a little bit, uh, I guess, sobering to think that there were out of the 10, five of them were not ready when the Lord showed up. Yeah. Some scholars will say, well, that doesn't mean that people will be left behind in the rapture. It doesn't mean that at all. It's just really the overall principle of let's all be ready. And, and that may very well be the case. But there are some that do believe because oil represents the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And the fact that they were not filled with the Holy Spirit, they did not have their lamps filled with the Spirit, that they were not ready, that they may either have been unbelievers or maybe even actually left behind when the rapture took place. Now, whether or not anyone can be left behind in the rapture, I'll leave that up to the scholars to argue. Um, but here's the bottom line for us. We need to make sure that we are ready for when the Lord returns. And without prophecy, by the way, Lauren, without prophecy, we can't be ready. We need to be watching and prepared and ready. So what does that mean? Make sure your lamps are filled with oil. Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you're prepared. And use that filling of the Holy Spirit to drive you to God's Word, to understand prophecy, so you can see not only how near we are to the Lord's return, but you can understand what's going to happen when He does return. And that way you're not only ready when he comes back, but you're watching. You know, I don't want to be, look, the last thing you want to be doing is, is being found caught in some type of sin when the Lord returns. I'm not saying you wouldn't go to heaven if you know the Lord, all right? But I am saying this, when the Lord comes back, I would rather be walking with the Lord in righteousness than doing something that I know I shouldn't be doing and something he knows I shouldn't be doing and then stand before him like, oh my goodness, here I am and I was just doing that. Um, we need to be prepared and we need to be ready. So have your lamps filled with oil and uh, make sure that, and also take care of allergies, as I am for those watching uh, from home. Um, have your lamps filled with oil and be prepared for the return of the Lord. Again, getting back on the importance of prophecy. Do you think there's any relationship between uh, that, Pastor Mark, in the parable of the, the wheat and the tares? Uh, well, you, you know, uh, where it's kind of like you, you've got people that, that think they're saved or whatever. It could be. It could be great. The wheat and the tares, we know for a fact, is believer, unbeliever. Okay. Because the tare is definitely designated as so unbeliever. So maybe I'm thinking wheat and chaff. No, just... no. But you're doing okay. Wheat and chaff okay. is also believer, unbeliever. Oh, okay. Both of those are clearly wheat and unbeliever. Here's the question. 
are the versions five with oil, five without, are they believer or unbeliever? Mm. That's where scholars differ. They'll say, no, they were all believers. Some just weren't ready. Others will say those five weren't even believers because they didn't have oil in their lamps. Did they ever have oil in their lamp because they didn't have the Holy Spirit? Um, so it's not as clear in that particular parable. But the, again, the overarching, overarching theme is be ready, be filled with oil, and be watching for the Lord. Absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Mark, and thanks for those great listener questions. When we come back, we're going to take a look at some prominent rabbis are asking Benjamin Netanyahu to do something on the Temple Mount that might cause World War III. Will he let it happen? We'll talk about that plus more as Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM. W-I-A-M-L-P. 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's Crazy Money Day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown. It's important to pay down credit card debt, but do it legally. Megachurch pastor Kirby John Caldwell used $900,000 he received in a fraudulent investment scheme to pay down his credit cards and mortgages and maintain his lifestyle. He was a spiritual advisor to Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Known for his entrepreneurship and philanthropy, he invested millions into community development and job creation in southwest Houston. Last March, Caldwell pled guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud. He and his Louisiana-based investment advisor influenced elderly people to invest $3.5 million in historical Chinese bonds. But those bonds aren't recognized by China's government and have no investment value. He claims to have paid full restitution to all the victims, but in November, he was sentenced to six years in prison. Biblical stewards know their managers of what God entrusts to them. They recognize his ownership and live in such a way that God can spend them however he wants. Whether managing a lot or a little, we must surrender our financial choices to God's control. Ask him to give you that desire. Paul told Timothy, Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, credit card debt is a symptom of this very point. If you're struggling to pay yours, I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. For more information, call the Crown Helpline, 800-722-1976, or visit online at crown.org slash ccc. Crown.org slash CCC. A moment of grace with Ed Taylor. God has given you the freedom to make decisions. It's time to get serious. I mean, because I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I look at my own life, you know, those days, they become weeks. Days you just throw away. The weeks, they become months. The months, they become years. And before you know it, the years become, you're done. On top of that, you never know when the days, weeks, and years are going to end anyway. That's why the Bible says to redeem the time for the days are evil. If anyone should shine the light of Jesus in these days, it's us. For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news that we call the Signs of the Times. This is episode 160. For those uh, subscribing to our podcast, if you want to know how to do that, just visit thewaymedia.net and click on Signs of the Times. I'm Greg Kilt. Pastor Mark Kirk is on the other side of the glass, getting ready, staging himself to answer the important questions (laughs) from this week's news articles. We will visit Israel first off and uh, see from Israel365news.com that prominent rabbis are asking Benjamin Netanyahu to allow a Passover sacrifice on 
on the Temple Mount. Yeah, wow. Let's talk about the prophetic significance so, oh, of this. Oh, man, so exciting. And some of the things they mention here are so cool, too. Look at this. Um, a group of prominent rabbis, they sent this letter again. And, and here's what the letter, I want to read the letter to you, part of it anyway. It says, to the esteemed Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu. It's from these rabbis. The, the her- Buttering them up. Yeah, and well, <laughs> but again, look at their approach. This is, again, the harassment of you personally. They're, they're, <laughs> right, they're going to get to what you okay, know, yeah. he's going through to get that heart going. And the people of Israel, in general, uh, by international, um, I'm sorry, by internal and external parties, such as the criminal court in The Hague, requires that harassment of all types be put in its, in its place. This can be done through a statement and action that signals to all governments, friends, enemies, and all parties competing in the elections where Israel has been heading since the dawn of history. We are going to worship God. The God of Israel, the creator of the world, and the place that God has chosen, from there, come, from there comes light and instruction to the whole world. In other words, people are harassing us. We can make a statement that we're going to stand with God, worship God, the creator, if we do this, um, the sacrifices on the Temple Mount. He says, the duty of worship and the right of worship of the people of Israel, as in the days of the Exodus from Egypt, is the clearest expression of the Exodus of the people of Israel into the world of freedom. With this message, all the harassers will be silenced. Now, they keep on. He's basically playing on his emotional. You, you don't need to be yeah. harassed. Let's make a stand. So yeah. uh, it is a little <laughs> bit of buttering up. Therefore, we ask you to allow us, as the representatives of the Jewish people, to carry out the Passover sacrifice this year and every year from now on to illustrate and observe the freedom of worship on the 14th of Nisan in the evening. Sincerely and with great respect, and they list themselves, the United Temple Movements for the Temple and the Temple Mount in the name of the whole house of Israel, Rabbi Israel Ariel, President of the Temple Institute, Rabbi Baruch Kahana, Head of the Priestly Watch, and Rabbi Aray Lippo, Lippo, uh, the Secretary. Um, It goes on, it says, Rabbi Hillel Weiss, the former former spokesman for the Sanhedrin, emphasize that a temple structure is not needed in order to bring the Passover sacrifice and a temporary altar that can be assembled and disassembled in one day would suffice. Now that's already happened in the old city, correct? Yes. Didn't that happen a few years ago? Yes, it did. They now do that and they'll do that this year. They'll sacrifice Passover lambs. They've been doing it for a few years in the old city, but they want to move it now to the temple. Yeah. Now we'll come back to that <laughs> okay. why assembling it and doing it quickly is pretty cool. Okay. Rabbi Weiss said this, the only thing preventing the Jewish people from performing the Passover sacrifice is the Israeli government. Well, now it's more than that. It's also the, all the opposition they have from um, the Islamic side of things. But here's the bottom line. This is why this is exciting is this. This is where prophecy comes in so importantly as we talked about in the first half. The Bible says in the last days that there will be sacrifices once again on the Temple Mount. They're going to happen. And now they're being pushed. See, in the past, Greg, the people didn't really care. It's like, we're back in the land. Yeah. They're secular. That's they're not what was really... most important yeah, Well, the now time. there's this thing, of, wait a minute, maybe we do care. We, you know, God's word does say it. And although we're not really following God in all the details, we should be doing this. It does show that we have a right to the Temple Mount. It is where the sacrifices were, you know, in ancient times. So let's go back to that. So it's very exciting to, to think about that, they're, that they want to do this. Now, my guess is, and I feel pretty confident, Netanyahu is not going to let them do this. It won't happen this year. It will happen at some point, probably not until the Antichrist comes on the scene, signs this deal, this agreement. It'll be part of that agreement, I think, that the Jews can now use the Temple Mount for their worship, even as uh, you know, Islam can use their part for their worship, if you will. So I think it's gonna, it is going to happen, we know, but it won't be this year, and it may not even be through Netanyahu. We don't know. But what's really cool about this, not only you see this move now pushing us further toward this, but it tells us in Daniel uh, that... When he signs this treaty, they're going to start doing the sacrifices right away. Well, that would create a problem if you didn't understand that they could erect the altar in one day and start doing it immediately because it says they'll be offering sacrifices immediately, but it'll take at least six months to build the third temple. And that's about how long they're estimating it would take to build it with modern technology. So what about the first six months of building the temple? What would the Jews do? Well, here's what they're going to do. They're going to set up an altar up there before that temple's built. They're going to immediately begin sacrificing Passover, all the other sacrifices and everything, doing the duties every day while this third temple is being built. So what was really cool to me and what stuck out to me in this article was, hey, all we need is to go set up an altar temporarily, do the sacrifices, take the altar back down if somebody's upset about it, and we're done. 
because that's exactly what's going to happen after the Antichrist signs that treaty with Israel. They're going to build an altar. They're going to offer sacrifices every day, the morning and night. Be the, the, no doubt, the morning and night lamb offering. And then all the feast days they'll be offering there on, on the Temple Mount. And, uh, and during this process, they'll be building the third temple. And eventually, it'll all be done and working together until the three-and-a-half-year point where the Antichrist will say, I'm God. You can no longer worship the God of heaven. Stop the sacrifices. Worship me. So, again... This is just cool to me. It's not going to happen this year, but I love how forward they're getting, how the people are getting more behind this. It is going to happen, and it shows that we are that much closer to the Lord's return, a major sign of the times. All right. If the Grinch was ordering from the fast food prophecy menu, he would order a side of pestilence, plagues, disasters, (laughs) and corruption. All right. Our uh, first article from this category, Pastor Mark, is from Israel365news.com. The title of this article is 2021 on track to become record-breaking year of major earthquakes and volcanoes. Now, yeah. is this article basing this on what's already happened in the year, or are they trying to prophesy themselves what's going to happen this year? Yeah, good question, though. They're talking about what's already happened, and okay. they don't realize how prophetic this is. And Greg, note this. So people need to realize earthquakes and volcanoes are closely linked, and I believe both earthquakes and volcanoes will have a big to-do in the last days. Um, because, well, let's get to that in a moment. Uh, it says, though the, though the past year has been replete with troubling news items, that include a pandemic and hotly contested U.S. presidential election. The earth shaking beneath our feet seems to have gone unnoticed. In the first 65 days of this year, 42 major quakes, and that's the thing here that gets the attention. It's not just earthquakes. We've never had this many major quakes Ever. You used to have a maximum of a, a very limited amount. Even in a 100-year period, they were very limited. But this had 40, 42 major quakes, which includes magnitude 6 or higher, have shaken the planet. The year with the largest total was 2010, with 24 major earthquakes, greater than or equal to 7.0. In 2011, a total of 207 earthquakes of 6.0 or higher shook the earth, um, and culminating in a 6.6 magnitude quake that caused the catastrophic meltdown of the Fukushima nuclear reactor. We remember that. And the concurrent 9.1 magnitude earthquake in Tahuka, uh, Japan killed over, that particular one, killed over 20,000 people. So powerful quakes shook the Chromatic Islands region of New Zealand on Thursday, setting off tsunami warnings. But attention should be paid to the less dramatic geological rumblings as well, it says. Iceland was hit by more than 18,000 quakes in the past week, including a magnitude 7.3, magnitude 7.4, and a magnitude 8.1. In addition, authorities are warning that two volcanoes in a densely populated region of the country could erupt at literally any moment. Again, those two are linked because it breaks up the magma, again, the stirring of the earth. The number of earthquakes is increasing, he says. Again, look, listen to this. In the first 65 days of 1921, only a century ago, there were only seven major quakes, magnitude six or higher, according to um, USGS database. In the same period last year, a total of 24 major quakes, magnitude 6 or higher. And now we had, again, um, you know, Greg would something like 42 in the first 65 days. So what's happening is there's an exponential increase in earthquakes. He says, and I quote, according to the long-term record since about 1900, we expect about 16 major earthquakes in any given year. That includes 15 earthquakes in the magnitude 7 range. Uh, an eight range or higher in the past 40 to 50 years, our records show that we have exceeded the long-term average number of earthquakes about a dozen times. Remember, the Lord said you're going to see an increase in earthquakes in the last days. Matthew 24. We are seeing this exponentially. So we've been watching this. We've been talking about it for years on Signs of the Times. This is major for this year because it's even turned up more now than in the past. But the thing that really got my attention here as well, Greg, is the link to volcanoes and earthquakes. On on the volcano issue, listen to what it says, but earthquakes are not the only concern. Europe's most active volcano, Mount Etna in Sicily, erupted seven times in the past two weeks. A large eruption started um, at Sangay Volcano, Ecuador, on Saturday. 
An earthquake swarm shook Mount Hood, a potentially active stratovolcano near Portland, Oregon, for 45 minutes last week, raising concerns that the volcano was beginning to awake. Now, keep that in mind. We're seeing volcanoes that have been asleep starting to awake, and you're going to see that around the globe. As the Bible says, in the last days, the earth will be groaning for the return of the Lord. We're seeing this groaning now in earthquakes and volcanoes. The earth has an upset stomach. Maybe the best way to describe this. It sent volcanic materials a size 16,000 feet in the sky, with authorities recording 13 times when it released ash clouds. Three weeks ago, Fuego Volcano, located 50 kilometers away from the capital city of Guatemala, started to erupt. As of yesterday, 43 volcanoes around were erupting or showing signs of activity. The prophet Ezekiel specifically described earthquakes as preceding the war of Gog and Magog. He said, mountains shall be overthrown, cliffs shall topple, and every wall shall crumble to the ground, Ezekiel 38 and 20. Some rabbis, again, they're pointing this out, unbelieving rabbis, they believe God, but not in mm-hmm. Jesus, yeah. have attributed this pre-Magog shakeup as God entering into the fray, using the forces of nature as his weapon of choice. Now, let's talk about this a minute. Earthquakes increasing, Bible said that would happen volcanoes. Greg, why this is so amazing. Remember, during the Great Tribulation, it says that the earth is going to become so clouded with uh, pollution, if whatever you want to call it, the, the natural or, or, or dust pollution, if you want to call it that. Yeah. The sun's going to become a third darker. The moon's going to be a third darker. It's going to circle the whole globe. Most scientists attribute that type of activity to volcanoes because nothing else could, again, surround the earth that quickly and do that. But this comes into play with the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39, so you already know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I don't know is going to happen. Listen, I'm not saying the Bible says this. What I'm saying is, at the end of chapter 38, it describes when Gog and Magog come, come in, that is Russia and Iran, come in to attack Israel, it says that God is going to supernaturally intervene, and it'll be done in such a way that no man or country can take the credit. It says that the nations will know that God intervened. He will get the glory. If it's military, how does God get the glory? If it's uh, nuclear, how does God get the glory? If somebody does some wise, uh, you know, military thing, man gets the glory or a nation gets the glory. So it's, it's out of nations and man's hands on the glory. What could it be? I have a theory. There is a, I'll call it a dead volcanic field. A cluster. Yep. Cone volcanoes yeah. up in northern Israel near Katrine. Uh, that is right near the border. Southern Syria. Yep. Right is the border where, again, Gog and Magog would be coming over to attack Israel. It has been dormant now for over a thousand years. It was very active over a thousand years ago. It's been dormant now for over a thousand years. And they're saying, yep, it's dead. These volcanoes are dead. No worries. Well, notice all the worldwide earthquakes. Notice all the volcanoes now starting to awake and all the activity around the globe. I think what you're going to see is a lot of volcanoes waking up. And I believe it's very possible, Greg, that those cone volcanoes up in northern Israel, they're on the border of Israel and Syria, are going to awaken. And it might even be that they awaken when Russia and Iran are coming into Israel. God makes them explode. They wipe out five-sixths of the army, as it says is going to happen there on the border, or as they're coming in. In such a supernatural way, the world's going to go, wait a minute. These things have been dormant for over a thousand years. And not only did they come to life, it just so happens. They came to life at the moment that Iran and Russia were attacking Israel and wiped out their armies. The Jews are going to say, this is our God protecting us. The world's going to say, I don't know what's going on, but this looks like something much larger than mankind intervened here. And God's going to get the glory. I believe that's what's going to happen. That is my theory. The Bible doesn't spell out the way it's going to happen, but I find it extremely intriguing in a lot of what we're watching happen with earthquakes and volcanoes around the globe as we speak. Mm. ABC News Pastor Mark is reporting an appeal for Yemen has raised a disappointing $1.7 billion, according to the U.N. chief. Yeah, that again, that's their main headline. My main headline in this is the result of that. Again, there's been a crisis going on in Yemen for quite some time where you have this um, uh, the Yemenis and the Saudis fighting each other. It's basically proxies of Iran, I would say, trying to, you know, those that are com- combined against Saudi Arabia, trying to destroy them. And they want to raise money for them because there's a humanitarian crisis. The United Nations appeal, um, again, said it was disappointing, as you said, Greg, at a virtual pledging conference co-hosted by Sweden and Switzerland. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres had appealed for $3.85 billion this year to address the impoverished Arab countries' dire needs. The amount raised, however, was less than what the U.N. received last year. 
and a billion dollars short of what was pledged in, at the 2019 conference. Guterres called for countries to consider again uh, what they can do to help stave off the worst famine the world has seen in decades. Now, we talked about earthquakes. Another Matthew 24 moment. Earth grumbling. Here we go. Matthew 24. The Bible said, Jesus said, be watching. There will be an increase in famines in the last days. And Greg, the world is watching this major catastrophic Yemenese famine and doing nothing about it. It's as if the world doesn't care, not even again contributing to help them. And yet, we're spending almost $2 trillion on the green uh, green agenda mm-hmm. in America. I mean, we just passed a bill that the majority of it is for this green movement and all those kind of things uh, to do away with fossil fuels and all that. And so we in this one nation have put almost two trillion dollars toward uh, getting electric cars and doing away with fossil fuels. And yet the world sees people starving in Yemen and they can't raise a few billion dollars. So it shows you where the hearts of people are. Um, it shows you where, um, uh, you know, rather than love and care of people, we, we really are more yeah. selfish by nature. And it's, it's quite a contrast to start. But again, it is. keep your eye on that because the Lord said that's what you'd be seeing in the last days. And I just want to say on behalf of Pastor Mark and Signs of the Times, we personally do not consider $1.7 billion to be disappointing. So if you have a, a spare $1.7 oh, no, billion. No, no, no. Not right. time for a fundraiser. All right. right. Oh, yeah. All right. I mean, who, who, who in their right mind considers $1.7 billion disappointing? Anyway? Yeah. All right, let's go to the church. And speaking of disappointing, this is from ChristianHeadlines.com, an unholy partnership. 23 Christian colleges and universities have ties to Planned Parenthood. Yeah, before I even read this, I'll just make this statement. Really, just for our listeners out there, our Christian universities and schools, most of them, I hate to say this, have really given in. Uh, to the world and really in many ways are not that much different than the world anymore. It's very yeah. disheartening and very sad. Many of our seminaries have truly earned the um, tongue-in-cheek name cemeteries because they are not really promoting the truth of God's Word, the believing of God's Word, literally, and, and again, walking in holiness. They're really becoming like the world. This just magnifies that. At least 23 Christian colleges and universities have ties to Planned Parenthood. Or promote the organization on campus, according to a new report by the pro-life organization Students for Life of America. Students for Life says it has conducted research on about 700 Christian colleges and universities and identified, and I quote, about 100 schools with ties to Planned Parenthood that will be listed in a report to be released later this year. Now listen to this. Most of you know who Planned Parenthood is. But Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest abortion provider. Interpretation, they kill more babies than anybody killing babies. Its clinics performed a record 354,871 murders of children in 2019 and 2020, according to its own report. Uh, And I quote, there is an unholy partnership between a number of Christian schools and abortion industries, said Christian Hawkins, president of Students for Life. Look, this is extremely disheartening, and I know that not, look, not all Christian colleges are a part of this, not all universities, I'm not saying that. Are there some good ones that are out there? Yes, I still believe there are. What I'm saying is they're, they're getting few and far between, and Greg, it's because of things like this, they're allowing the world in, and even for those that aren't allowing Planned Parenthood to have some kind of connection to their Christian university, there are so many out there today that are now accepting things that God says in his word are an abomination and sin before heaven, and they're now saying that it's okay with God, it's acceptable. And you can even not only be involved in a Christian university and be involved in that, but you could even get involved in ministry and even be in the pulpit. So the disheartening thing to me is, is rather than the church, at least in name here, holding to the word of God and the truth of God's word and standing on it, they're giving in to the pressures and temptations around them and becoming just like the world. Remember what the Lord said. If the church becomes just like the world, if, if we lose our salt and our saltiness, he said, we are good for nothing except One thing we're good for, being trampled underfoot by men. And that's exactly what happens when we don't make a stand on the truth. 
We are trampled underfoot by men uh, because they mock us. We don't stand on what we believe. Why should they believe it? If I don't believe the word of God and stand on it boldly, why should they believe it? And we're all going to stand before the Lord and give account one day. We need to be those who have made a stand for the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit and not be ashamed. Jesus made a stand unto death, and we should do nothing less. And the sad thing for me, Greg, this is not just Christian colleges and uh, Christian schools, seminaries, etc. doing this. Our, our Christian schools down at the high school level are, are doing this. They're compromising. Um, I had someone share recently with me, a Christian school, that they had someone, uh, uh, even even locally here, they were involved with, where the principal was saying, basically, you don't believe the Bible literally, do you? Actually rebuking one of the teachers wow. for believing uh, the creation account literally and the okay. Bible literally. And I'm thinking, why in the world are you a principal of a Christian school that has their standards based on the Word of God if you don't believe the Word of God? Listen, shame on that person, but shame on us as believers if we don't say, this is God's Word, we're going to stand on it. Let me challenge our listeners with this. Would you rather stand before the Lord one day and be rebuked because you were, and I'll put this in quotes, foolish enough to believe His Word literally, or would you rather stand before the Lord and be rebuked because you didn't? I would rather stand before the Lord and find out I'm wrong because I believed his word, which isn't going to happen. If you believe his word, you're going to be right. But for argument's sake, I would rather stand before the Lord and find out I was wrong by believing his word for what it says and have him correct me. So, Lord, I just believed you. Well, I know you did, Mark, but you were foolish. You shouldn't have believed me. And so now you're corrected. (laughs) I'd rather that happen than him to say, what were you thinking? Well, Lord, my school said, my professor, well, Lord, my my denomination. What did I say? Uh, You said this. Then why did you believe man over me? Did I not write, let every man be shown to be a liar and God to be shown true? Yes, Lord, you did. Mm. Please forgive me, Lord. I don't want that scene. Would I still be accepted in heaven? Yes. Would he forgive me? Yes. Does he still love me? Yes. But would I be foolish? Absolutely yes. Listen to me, fellow believer. Never be ashamed to stand on the word of God literally for what it says because you will be shown to be right in the long run Every man will be shown to be a liar, and we do not want to be ashamed on that day. Stand firm. The things of God are foolishness to the unsaved world. Yeah. That's for sure. All right. uh, As we wrap up episode 160 today, we've got some good news, and your verse of the day is Hebrews 4.12. As we go to ChristianHeadlines.com to see a new poll, says that Bible reading has boosted mental health of Christians during last year's pandemic yeah 412 hebrews 412 for the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart that is it is powerful and that's what this good news article today really bears out Reading the Bible during the pandemic, it says, has improved the mental health of a large segment of Christians and also eased their anxiety about the future. There's prophecy again coming back, according to the United Kingdom survey. Now, this is amazing to me, United Kingdom, because they've gotten so godless over there. There's very few Christians now in the United Kingdom. The poll of 1,123 practicing Christians who attend church and read the Bible at least monthly found that 33% say reading the Bible has improved their mental health during the pandemic, while 28% say it has increased their confidence in the future. Why? Because they read the promises of God. This is, this is wonderful. Another 42% say it has boosted their hope in God. So look what you have. Increased confidence, uh, increased uh, boasting or, or hope in God, and your mental health is better simply by reading the Word of God. Most in the survey say reading the Bible has allowed their mental health and their beliefs about the future of God to remain the same rather than decreasing. The survey was conducted by Christian Research for the Bible Society. And I quote, the Bible has the ability to stand over our circumstances as something solid. A reference point in uncertain times, Allerton added. It's like having felt all at sea and then having... um, and having a rock to stand on, he said it in a funny way, that's what he said, but basically being in the ocean with nowhere to stand, and now you have a rock to stand on. Note this, 35% say they have engaged with the Bible more frequently since the pandemic started. 33% uh, ages 16 to 24 say reading the Bible has helped them feel less lonely. Here's the bottom line. We know these things are going to happen when people read the Bible. And yes, you see the power of the Word of God being played out right here, Greg, in this whole article. Yeah. But this gets back to what I believe part
part of what God was doing during this pandemic that pretty much is over now. But what was really part of this pandemic was this, and that is God was taking away all the toys of the people of the world. You couldn't go play with your toys. You couldn't be a part of your toys. Everybody had to stay in. Everybody had to wear a mask. You couldn't do what you loved. So what it did, what it did was it challenged us. What is life about? What does life even mean? For the believer, we obviously were driven to the word because we're looking for hope and help and we got it. But Greg, even the world, I believe God allowed this and has used this pandemic in the last days as a sign of the times to get the eyes of the world off of all the sparkly things of the world and all the things that we get wrapped up in and say, you know what? I'm taking that all away. Now what's left and what really matters? Mm -hmm. And I believe many people have come to Christ through this. I believe more are going to be drawn to Christ through this. And I almost almost call this last call. This is like last call for the kingdom of God where God's drawing everyone in. I know the real last call will be during the Great Tribulation. But again, here's this last call before the rapture, bringing as many people into the kingdom as can get in. And I think that it has been used for that. So I rejoice at the results. For the believers here, and this good news uh, in running to the Word of God, because I know that's that way worldwide, but I also rejoice at the unbelievers that have been drawn to the Lord through this. And I encourage you, um, again, if you're not in church, it's time to get back in church. Find a church that's open, go there. Uh, you've got Easter coming up. I encourage you to get out, celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. I know that there's still a, a minute uh, remainder of the, of the virus out there, but for the most part, I think we've Turn the corner, and as believers, we need to be in fellowship with the Word of God and with other believers. So go for it and and watch God do an amazing work in the days in which we live. Uh, Just further proof, Pastor Mark, that God's Word does not make your life worse. It can only make your life better. That's right. All right, folks, thewaymedia.net. Click on Signs of the Times for anything related to our program. Download our app, and in our podcast section, you'll see the article link where you can read the articles we discuss. Have a great weekend. We'll be back next Friday. to Jesus. He's not hiding. He told us who he was and where he lives. He did the unexpected and offers rescue from the penalty associated with the choice to sin. He's made it easy to discover him. He's made it easy to learn the benefits of being part of his family. He will give you more than you can ever give him, but he'll take what you give and make it new. Come to Jesus. He's been waiting for you. WIAM 101.1 FM. The Way.